0: Hey, everybody, this is Ruben, and you're listening to Amazing Stories.
1: The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams, starring Peter Jones as the book.
2: Of ancient time, in the great and glorious days of the former Galactic Empire, life was wild, rich, and on the whole tax free. In those days, spirits were brave, the stakes were high, men were real men, women were real women, and small fairy creatures from Alpha Centauri were real small fairy creatures from Alpha Centauri and all dared to brave unknown terrors, to do mighty deeds, to boldly split infinitives that no man had split before. And thus was the empire forged. Many men, of course, became extremely rich, but this was perfectly natural and nothing to be ashamed of because no one was really poor, at least no one worth speaking of. And for these extremely rich merchants, life eventually became rather dull, and it seemed that none of the worlds they settled on was entirely satisfactory. Either the climate wasn't quite right in the later part of the afternoon, or the day was half an hour too long, or the sea was just the wrong shade of pink. And thus were created the conditions for a staggering new form of industry. Custom-made luxury planet building. The home of this industry was the planet Magrathea, where vast hyperspatial engineering works were constructed to suck matter through white holes in space and form it into dream planets, lovingly made to meet the exacting standards of the galaxy's richest men. And so successful was this venture that very soon Magrathea itself became the richest planet of all time, and the rest of the galaxy was reduced to abject poverty. And so the system broke down, the empire collapsed, and a long, sullen silence settled over the galaxy, disturbed only by the pen-scratchings of scholars as they labored into the night over smug little treatises on the value of a planned political economy. In these enlightened days, of course, no one believes a word of it. Meanwhile, on Zaphod ship, deep in the darkness of the Horsehead Nebula,
3: I'm sorry, I just don't believe a word of it. Listen to me, Ford. i found it. I swear I've found it. Magrathia is a myth, a fairy story. It's what parents tell their kids about at night if they want them to grow up to become economists. And, and we are currently in orbit around it. Zaphod, I can't help what you may personally be in orbit around, but this ship... Computer! Oh, no. Hi there,
0: this is Eddie, your shipboard computer, and I'm feeling just great, guys. And I know I'm just going to get a bundle of kicks out of any program you care to run through me. Is this necessary? Computer,
3: tell us again what our current trajectory is. A real pleasure, fella.
0: We are currently in orbit at an altitude of 300 miles around the legendary planet of Magrathea.
3: Proving nothing. I wouldn't trust that computer to speak my way. I
0: could do that for you, sure. No, thank you. I could even work out your personality problems to ten decimal places if
3: it'll help.
1: Zaphod, we should have dawn coming up any minute now on the planet. Whatever it turns out to be.
3: Okay. Okay. Uh, Let's just take a look at it. Computer. Hi there. What can I do for uh, you? Just shut up and give us external vision on the monitors. Trisha, I feel I may be missing
4: the point of something. Hmm?
1: Well, Arthur, according to what Zephods told me, Magrathea is a legendary planet from way back, which no one seriously believes in. A bit like Atlantis, really. Oh, except that the legends say the Magratheans used to manufacture planets. Hmm.
2: Is there any tea on this spaceship? Arthur Dent had basically assumed that he was the only native ape-descended Earthman to escape from the planet Earth when it was unexpectedly demolished to make way for a new hyperspace bypass because his only companion, disconcertingly called Ford Prefect had already revealed himself to be from a small planet somewhere in the vicinity of Betelgeuse and not from Guilford after all. So when, against all conceivable probability, they were suddenly rescued from certain death in deep space by a stolen starship manned by two people, one of whom is Ford's semi-brother, the infamous Zephod Beeblebrox, and the other of whom is Tricia Macmillan, a rather nicely descended ape person that Arthur once met at a party in Islington, it could only be because the ship was powered by the new infinite improbability drive, which, of course, it was. Slowly, majestically, this mighty starship begins its long descent towards the surface of the ancient planet, which might or might not be Magrathea.
3: Well, even supposing it is, is. which it isn't, what do you want with it anyway? I mean, I take it you're not here for the sheer industrial archaeology of it all. What is it you're after? Well, it's partly the curiosity, partly a sense of adventure, but mostly I think it's the fame and the money. It's just a dead planet. The suspense is killing me.
2: Stress and nervous tension are now serious social problems in all parts of the galaxy, and it is in order that this situation should not be in any way exacerbated that the following facts will now be revealed in advance. The planet in question is, in fact, Magrathea. The deadly nuclear missile attack, shortly to be launched by an ancient automatic defence system, will merely result in the bruising of somebody's upper arm and the untimely creation and sudden demise of a bowl of petunias and an innocent sperm whale. In order that some sense of mystery should still be preserved, no revelation will yet be made concerning whose upper arm has been bruised. This fact may safely be made the subject of suspense, since it is of no significance whatsoever. Arthur's next question about the planet is very complex and difficult, and Seyfried's
3: answer is wrong in every important respect. Is it safe? Magrathy has been dead for five million years. Of course it's safe. Even the ghosts will have settled down and raised families by now.
1: What? What's that voice. Computer.
0: Hi there. What is it? Oh, just some five million year old tape recording that's being broadcast
1: at us. This is a recorded announcement, as I'm afraid we're all out at the moment. The Commercial Council of Magrathia thanks you come for come your in, esteemed visit, okay. okay. but regrets that the entire planet is temporarily closed for business. Thank you. If you would like to leave your name and a planet where you could be contacted, kindly speak when you hear the tone.
3: They want to get rid of us. What do we do? It's just a recording. Keep going. Got that computer?
1: I got it. We would like to assure you that as soon as our business is resumed, announcements will be made in all fashionable magazines and colour supplements when our clients will once again be able to select from all that's best in contemporary geography. Meanwhile, we thank our clients for their kind interest and would ask them to leave now.
4: Well, I suppose we'd better be going then, haven't we?
1: (sighs) There's absolutely
3: nothing to be worried about. Then why is everyone so tense? They're just interested. We keep going.
1: It is most gratifying that your enthusiasm for our planet continues unabated. And so we would like to assure you that the guided missiles currently converging with your ship are part of a special service we extend to all of our most enthusiastic clients and the fully armed nuclear warheads are of course merely a courtesy detail. We look forward to your custom in future lives. Thank you.
4: Listen, if that's their sales pitch, what must it be like in the complaints
3: department? Hey, this is terrific! It means we really must be onto something if they're trying to kill us. Terrific?
1: You mean, there is someone down there after all?
3: No, the whole defense system must be automatic, but the question is why? But what are we going to do? Just... Keep cool. Is that all? No, we're also gonna take evasive action. Computer, what evasive action can we take? Uh,
0: none, I'm afraid, guys. something. There seems to be something jamming my guidance systems. (laughs) Impact minus 30 seconds. Ah! Sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Please call me Eddie if it will help you relax.
3: Right. Um, look, we've got to get manual control of this ship. Can you fly here? No, can you? No. Ford? No. Fine, we'll do it together. I can't either. i guess that. Computer, I want full manual control now. You got it.
0: Good luck, guys. Impact minus 20 seconds.
3: OK, Ford, full retro thrust and 10 degrees starboard.
5: We're veering too fast. I can't hold her. She's going into a spin. Dive! Dive!
2: It is, of course, more or less at this point, that one of our heroes sustains a slight bruise to the upper arm. This should be emphasized because, as has already been revealed, they escape otherwise completely unharmed, and the deadly nuclear missiles do not eventually hit the ship. Our hero's safety is absolutely assured.
0: Impact, minus
4: 15 seconds, guys. The are still homing in. You can't shake them, we're going to die.
3: When you walk through the
1: storm. Stop that bloody computer up! Zafod, can we stabilize at X00547 by splitting our flight path tangentially across the summit vector of 9GX78 with a five-degree inertial correction?
3: What? Uh, yes, I expect so just do it. And oh, God forgive you if you any broken.
1: Here we go. When did you learn a stunt like that, really? Going round Hyde Park Corner on a moped.
3: What? Oh, it's another. Yeah, tell
4: me later. It's no good. The missiles are swinging round after us and gaining fast. We are quite definitely going to die.
0: Though your dreams be tossed and impact minus five seconds. Oh, why doesn't oh, anyone turn on this improbability
4: drive thing? Oh, don't
1: be silly. You can't do that. Why not?
4: There's nothing to lose at this stage. Well,
1: because... Does anyone know why Arthur can't turn on the improbability drive? Impact minus one second.
0: It's been great knowing you guys. God bless
1: you all. I said, does anyone know?
4: Well, I was just saying. There's a switch here, you see. Where are In we, fact... Trillian?
3: Exactly where we were, I think. Then what's happened to the missiles? Uh, well, according to this screen, they've just turned into a bowl of petunias and a very surprised-looking
0: whale. At an improbability factor of 8,767,128 to 1 again.
3: Did you think of that, Earthman? Well, all I did was just It's That's very pres- good thinking, you know that? You just saved our lives. Oh,
4: it was nothing, really.
3: Oh, was it? Oh, well, forget it. Oh. Okay, computer. Take us into land. Well,
4: I say it was nothing. I mean, obviously it was something. I was just trying to say it's not worth making too much of a fuss about. I mean, just saving everybody's life, you
1: know?
2: Another thing that no one made too much fuss about was the fact that, against all probability, a sperm whale had suddenly been called into existence some miles above the surface of an alien planet. And since this is not a naturally tenable position for a whale, this innocent creature had very little time to come to terms with its identity as a whale before it had to come to terms with suddenly not being a whale anymore. This is what it thought as it fell.
5: Ah! Oh, what's happening? Uh, excuse me, who am I? Hello? Why am I here? What's my purpose in life? Yeah, what do I mean by who am I? Now calm down, get a grip now. Ooh. Is, is an interesting sensation. What is it? It's a sort of yawning, tingling sensation in my, my... well, I suppose i better start finding names for things. If I want to make any headway, what, for the sake of what I shall call an argument, I shall call the world. So let's call it my stomach. So, a yawning, tingling sensation in my stomach. Good. Oh, it's getting quite strong. Hey, what about this whistling, roaring sound going past what I'm suddenly going to call my head? That can be wind. Is that a good name? Oh, it'll do. Perhaps I can find a better name for it later when I Find out what it's for because there certainly seems to be a hell of a lot of it. Hey, what's this thing? This let's call it a tail. Yeah, a tail. Hey, yes, I can really thrice it about pretty good, can't I? Wow, wow. Hey, doesn't seem to achieve much, but I'll probably find out what it's for later on. Now, have I built up any coherent picture of things yet? No. Oh, hey, oh, this is really exciting. So much to find out about, so much to look forward to. I'm quite dizzy with anticipation. Or is it the wind? Hey, there really is a lot of that now, isn't there? And wow, watch this thing suddenly coming towards me very fast. Very, very fast. So big and flat and wide. It is a big, wide-sounding word. Like, ow, ow, round, round. Ground! That's it! Ground! I wonder if it'll be friends with me.
2: Curiously enough, the only thing that went through the mind of the bowl of Petunias as it fell was, oh no, not again. Many people have speculated that if we knew exactly why the bowl of Petunias had thought that, we should know a lot more about the nature of the universe than we do now. Meanwhile, the starship has landed on the surface of Megrathea, and Trillian is about to make one of the most important statements of her life. Its importance is not immediately recognized by her companions.
1: Hey, my white mice have escaped.
3: Oh, nuts to your white mice.
2: It is possible that Trillian's observation would have commanded greater attention had it been generally realized that human beings were only the third most intelligent life form on the planet Earth, instead of, as was generally thought by most independent observers,
3: the second. Okay, run atmospheric checks on the planet. Are we taking this robot?
5: don't feel you have to take any notice of me, please.
3: Oh, Marvin the paranoid android, yeah, we'll take him.
1: What are you supposed to do with a manically
5: depressed robot? You think you've got problems? What are you supposed to do if you are a manically depressed robot? No, don't try and answer that. I'm 50,000 times more intelligent than you and even I don't know the answer. Gives me a headache just trying to think down to your level.
3: Well, what's the result? It's
0: okay, but it smells a bit.
3: Okay, everybody, let's go. Good
0: afternoon, boys.
3: What's that? Oh, that that's just the computer. I discovered it had an emergency backup personality, which I thought might be marginally preferable.
0: Now, this is going to be your first day on a strange
5: planet, so I want you all wrapped up snug and warm and no playing with any naughty bug-eyed monsters.
3: I'm sorry, I think we might have been better off with a slide rule. Right, who said that? Will you open up the exit hatch, please, computer? Not
0: until whoever said that owns up. Oh,
3: God. Come on. Computer. I'm waiting. I can wait all day if necessary. Computer, if you don't open that exit hatch this moment, I shall go straight to your major data banks with a very large axe and give you a reprogramming you'll never forget. Is that clear?
0: I can see this relationship is something we're all going to have to work at.
1: Whoa! <laughs>
3: Thank you. Let's go.
0: It'll all end in tears, I know it!
3: It's fantastic! Desolate hole, if you ask me. Oh,
1: it's bloody cold. It all looks so stark and dreary. I
4: think it's absolutely fantastic. It's only just getting through to me. A whole alien world. Millions of light years from home. Pity it's such
3: a dump, though. Hey, just beyond that ridge you can see the remains of an ancient city. What does it look like? Well, it's a bit of a dump. Come on over. Oh, and watch out for all the bits of whale meat.
4: Do you realise that robot can hum like Pink Floyd? What else can you do, Marvin? Rock and roll.
1: I wish I knew where my mice were.
3: I found a way in. In? In what? down to the interior of the planet that's where we have to go where no man has trod these five million years into the very depths of time itself well, can it Marvin why underground well according to the legends the Magrathians live most of their lives underground did the surface become too polluted or overpopulated no I think they just didn't like it very much
1: say Fod, are you sure you know what you're doing We've been attacked once already, you know.
3: Look, I promise you, the live population of this planet is nil, plus the four of us.
1: And two white mice. And
3: two white mice, if you insist. Oh, come on, let's go if we're going. Uh, hey, uh, Earthman. Arthur. Uh, Could you sort of keep the robot with you and guard this end of the passageway, okay? Guard? What from? You just said there's no one here. Yeah, well, uh, just for safety, okay? Whose, yours or mine? Good lad, okay, here we go. Well, I hope you all have a
4: really miserable time.
3: Don't worry, they will
1: is really spooky.
3: Look at all this. Galleries of derelict equipment just lying about. Does anyone know what happened to this place in the end? I mean, why did the Magrathians die out? Something to do, I suppose. If I had two heads like you, Zephrod, I could have hours of fun banging them against a wall.
1: Hey, shine the torch over there.
3: Where? Here?
1: Well, we aren't the first beings to go down this corridor in five million years, then. What do you mean? Look, fresh mouse droppings.
3: Oh, your bloody mice.
1: (gasps) What's that light down the corridor? It's
3: just a torch
1: reflection. There's definitely something happening down there. No! Listen!
2: The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is a very unevenly edited book and contains many passages which simply seemed to its editors like a good idea at the time. One of these supposedly relates the experiences of one Viet Vujagig, a quiet young student at the University of Meximegalon, who pursued a brilliant academic career studying ancient philology, transformational ethics, and the wave-harmonic theory of historical perception, and then, after a night of drinking pangalactic gargle blasters with Zaphod Beeblebrox, became increasingly obsessed with the problem of what had happened to all the biros he'd bought over the past few years. There followed a long period of painstaking research, during which he visited all the major centres of biro loss throughout the galaxy, and eventually came up with a rather quaint little theory, which quite caught the public imagination at the time. Somewhere in the cosmos, he said, along with all the planets inhabited by humanoids, reptiloids, fishoids, walking trioids, and superintelligent shades of the colour blue, there was also a planet entirely given over to biro life forms. And it was to this planet that unattended Byros would make their way, slipping quietly through wormholes in space to a world where they knew they could enjoy a uniquely Byroid lifestyle, responding to highly Byro-orientated stimuli, in fact, leading the biro equivalent of the good life. And as theories go, this was already fine and pleasant until Viet Vujicic suddenly claimed to have found this planet and to have worked there for a while driving a limousine for a family of cheap green retractables, whereupon he was taken away, locked up, wrote a book, and was finally sent into tax exile, which is the usual fate reserved for those who are determined to make a fool of themselves in public. When one day an expedition was sent to the spatial coordinates that Vujicic had claimed for this planet, they discovered only a small asteroid inhabited by a solitary old man who claimed repeatedly that nothing was true, though he was later discovered to be lying. Meanwhile, on the surface of Magrathea, two suns have just set. Night's falling. Look, Robot, the stars
4: are coming out. I know.
5: Wretched, isn't it? But
4: that sunset. I've never seen anything like it in my wildest dreams. The two suns. It was like mountains of fire boiling into space.
5: I've seen it. It's rubbish.
4: We only ever had the one sun at home. I came from a planet called Earth, you know.
5: I know. You keep going on about it. It sounds awful.
4: Oh, no. It was a beautiful place.
5: Did it have
4: oceans? Oh, yes. Great, wide, rolling blue oceans. Can't bear oceans. Tell me, do you get on well with other robots?
5: Haven,
1: where are you going? I
4: just think I'll take a short walk.
1: Don't blame you. Good evening. Ah!
4: Who
1: you choose a cold night to visit our dead planet? Uh, who are you? My name is not important. I, um... <laughs> you startled me. Do not be alarmed.
4: I will not harm you. But you shot at us. There were missiles. Merely an
1: automatic system. Ancient computers ranged in the long caves deep in the bowels of the planet. Tick away the dark millennia. I think they take the occasional pot shot to relieve the monotony. I'm a great fan of science, you know. Really? Oh, yes. Ah. You um, seem ill at ease. Yes, well, no disrespect, but I gathered you were all dead. Dead? No, we have but slept. Slept? Yes, through the economic recession, you see. What? Well, five million years ago, the galactic economy collapsed. And seeing that custom-built planets are something of a luxury commodity... You know we built planets, oh, do you? well, yes, I- I'd sort of gathered. Fascinating trade. Doing the coastlines was always my favorite. Used to have endless fun doing all the little fiddly bits in fjords. Anyway, the recession came, so we decided to sleep through it. We just programmed the computers to revive us when it was all over. They were index linked to the galactic stock market prices, you see, so that we'd be revived when everybody else had rebuilt the economy enough to be able to afford our rather expensive services again. Good God, that's a pretty unpleasant way to behave, isn't it? Is it? I'm sorry, I'm a bit out of touch You must come with me, great things are afoot You must come now or you will be late Late? What for? What is your name, human? Dent, Arthur Dent Late, as in the late Dent Arthur Dent It's a sort of threat, you see I've never been very good at them myself But I'm told they could be terribly effective
4: All right, where do we go?
1: In my air car, we are going deep into the bowels of the planet where even now our race is being revived from its five million year slumber. Excuse me, what is your name by the way? My name is... my name is Slarty Bartfast. (laughs) I beg your pardon? Slarty Bartfast. Slarty Bartfast? I said it wasn't important.
2: It is an important and popular fact that things are not always what they seem. For instance, on the planet Earth, man had always assumed that he was more intelligent than dolphins because he had achieved so much, the Wheel, New York Wars, and so on, whilst all the dolphins had ever done was muck about in the water having a good time. But conversely, the dolphins believed that they were more intelligent than man for precisely the same reasons. Curiously enough, the dolphins had long known of the impending demolition of Earth and had made many attempts to alert mankind to the danger, but most of their communications were misinterpreted as amusing attempts to punch footballs or whistle for titbits, so they eventually gave up and left the Earth by their own means, shortly before the Vogons arrived. The last ever dolphin message was misinterpreted as a surprisingly sophisticated attempt to do a double backward somersault through a hoop whilst whistling the star-spangled banner. But in fact, the message was this. So long, and thanks for all the fish. In fact... There was only one species on the planet more intelligent than dolphins, and they spent a lot of their time in behavioral research laboratories running round inside wheels and conducting frighteningly elegant and subtle experiments on man.
1: Earthman, We are now deep in the heart of Megarithia. I should warn you that the chamber we are about to pass into does not literally exist within our planet. It is simply the gateway to a vast tract of hyperspace. It may disturb you. Oh, It scares the willies out of me. Hold tight. (laughs) Welcome to our factory floor. Uh, The light. This is where we make most of our planets, you see.
4: Does this mean you're starting it all up again now? No, no, for
1: heaven's sake. The galaxy isn't nearly rich enough to support us yet. No, we've been awakened to perform just one extraordinary commission. It may interest you. There, in the distance, in front of us. Oh, no. You see? The Earth? Well, the Earth Mark two, in fact. It seems that the first one was demolished five minutes too early, and the most vital experiment was destroyed. There's been a terrible hoo-ha, and so we're going to make a copy from our original blueprints. You...
4: Are you saying that you originally made the Earth?
1: Oh, yes. Did you ever go to a place... I think it's called Norway. What? No. No. No, I didn't. It, that was one of mine. Won an award. You know, lovely, crinkly edges. I, I can't take this. Did I hear you say the Earth was destroyed five minutes too early? Shocking cock up. The mice were furious. Mice? Yes, the whole thing was their experiment, you see. A 10 million year research program to find the ultimate question. Big job, you know. Look, would it save you all this bother if I just gave up and went mad now?
2: Has Slarty Bartfast flipped his lid? Are Ford, Zephod and Trillian dying in fearful agony? Or have they simply slipped out for a quick meal somewhere? Will Arthur Dent feel better with a good hot drink inside him? Find out in next week's exciting instalment of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy.
1: In that episode of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Peter Jones was the book. Richard Vernon was Slaty Bart fast, Simon Jones played Arthur Dent and Geoffrey McGiven, Ford Prefect. Stephen Moore was Marvin Mark Wing Davy Zaphod Beeblebrox, Susan Sheridan, Trillian and David Tate, Computer. The program was written by Douglas Adams and produced by Geoffrey Perkins with the assistance of the BBC Radiophonic Workshop. Zaphod Beeblebrox is now appearing in No Sex Please Where Amoeboid Zingatularians At the Brantus Vogan Star House.
4: I'm sorry. But I'd probably be able to cope better if I hadn't bruised my arm.
0: Thank you for listening, and don't forget to join us tomorrow for yet another amazing story.